You are a part of something that is so much greater. And just like our faith, our faith is personal in Christ, but it's not private. It definitely is public. And part of that personal faith is powerful for me, but it's even more amazing in community and with people, and that we are a part of a people, and it's something that's so much greater that God is wanting to do all around the world, and you're a part of that. In fact, many of you guys helped us give money. We raised funds to be able to get some of those delegates from those 80 different countries, but we had about 317 different ones to be able to come because of the funds you raised. So thank you so, so much. We were able to raise almost $400,000, not just our church, but our churches collectively in North America, but we were a part of that, and uh, just such an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do. So I want you to grab your Bible, look up on the screen, get ready, because we're going to dive straight into John chapter 8. If you're new with us, we've been going through the book of John this whole summer. Our passion, and really we're only going to be able to get to about John chapter 11. Last week, Randy began John chapter 8 talking about Jesus being the light of the world, and he is approaching uh, down in Judea, he's up in Galilee. It's about a three-day journey, roughly, to um, the temple area. And he is there for what's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so for us, without going into all the detail, and I can't go into all the history right now, but just imagine, imagine they are celebrating what God has done and what he did to free them ultimately from Egypt. And so they're celebrating their freedom. So similar, not even close to exactly, but it's like a Memorial Day for us. So imagine you go on a three-day journey, and you're heading to the temple, and you're heading to that area in order to celebrate the freedom that God has given you and celebrate what God is doing amongst you and the people. And so that's why they're in the middle of a celebration, and Jesus is at the temple, and he's teaching, and people start asking him questions, and he's answering their questions, and he's going for it. So they're at a freedom celebration time in their country, and Jesus begins. Verse 31, John 8, 31. He says this, Jesus, so Jesus said to the Jews, here's particular, who had believed him. Now, last week you saw he had been talking a lot, answering questions and teaching specific things about who he was. If you were here last week and read through John 8 up to this point, or if you've been following along, you're going to follow along uh, with our clcstarter.com, our daily devotional where we're going through the book of John chapter 8 this week or last week as well. You read and you have seen that Jesus has talked to everybody and some people believe, some people don't. But, but in the beginning, his message, he's talking about things like, I'm the light of the world. And he's pointing out and saying, this is what we are supposed to be in the world. And now he's going to talk specifically to the ones that kind of have stuck around his teaching and are believing him and pay attention to what he says. He says this, if you abide in my word. That word abide is really interesting during the Feast of Booths um, because Feast of Booths or Tabernacles were um, little houses that they would build or booths that they would build outside of the city to celebrate God and to say, we remember what it was like before we entered into our city and we're going to be reminded of that as the rain starts to come down in the rainy season in Israel. So Jesus says, make your house if you make a house, your abode, my word, my teachings, who I am, he says then, you are truly my 
disciples. And again, he's talking to people that are starting to believe him. Maybe like you today, coming to church, you're here for a reason. You have at least some sense of belief, or maybe you've been a believer for a long time. And he's going, okay, I'm not talking to all those people now. Now I'm talking to you. If you make my word your home, like make it everything in your life, then you're truly my disciples. And look what he says. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remember, they're celebrating their freedom, and Jesus comes in and says, if you really want to be free, listen to me. If you really want to be free, listen to me. And they don't go, wow, that's amazing. You hear this all the time. It's been quoted in movies. It's been quoted in in sitcoms. The truth shall set you free. And Jesus says... When you abide in my word, when you make it your very home and dwelling, everything, you're living out of it, then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Watch how they respond to him. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, if you know anything about Israel, most of their existence, they've been slaves. They were slaves in Egypt, they were slaves, Babylonians, Assyrians, Persians, now the Romans. What are they talking about? Are they so delusional that they're going, what do you mean we have to be free? We are free. There's three different types of freedom. And we understand this in our country because we talk about constantly freedom, freedom. We are free. We are free. And we, thankfully, are in a place where we are free to worship today. I have friends and we have uh, churches in China that right now their churches are being destroyed and they're being displaced in China. And our pastors and the Christians there now. Because they are not free to worship in their country. We are. You have so many freedoms, and we have freedoms, and that is an external freedom. We get to celebrate and enjoy the external freedoms that we have. But Jesus isn't just talking about external freedoms because they had limited external freedoms. Obviously, the Romans were enslaving them and could do whatever they wanted ultimately, but they allowed them to do these feasts and worship. So there was a sense of external freedom. But Jesus says, I'm not even talking about your full external freedom. I'm talking about internal freedom and ultimately eternal freedom. I'm talking about the fact that you all, we are all, you all, slaves ultimately, to your internal desires. And he says, you are not free. And they say, look, we are free. We've never been slaves. And immediately, they're obstinate to Jesus' words. What do you mean you will become free? Who do you think you are? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Remember, we said that I'm in, I'm in. He's saying, now listen to my words. I say to you, I with my authority say, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is he talking about? Now, in that culture, it was very common to have slaves. Even the slaves would have slaves. It was part of even their market, their marketplace, wow, the way they did things. But slaves did not have rights. So you could beat your slave. You could kill your slave. You could sell your slave. They did not have rights. But sons had rights. So slaves, if, if the father died, would not inherit anything. But the son would inherit the inheritance of the father. And Jesus comes in and says, and he juxtaposes these two things. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. The son has a father. The slave has a master. And he says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the son, who is a son of the house, who has the father, who has inheritance, can set free. Free, he has the power to set free those slaves so that they can enjoy sonship and true in, in eternal, internal, external freedoms. And Jesus represents and put himself in this level of authority to say, I'm the son that can set you free. He says, I know, obviously, you're the offspring of Abraham, verse 37. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. It's not living. It's not abiding in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. Okay? Jesus is about to get crazy in here. Verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. You said to them, Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Abraham walked by faith. Abraham did what God asked him to do. He's calling them out. This is not a seeker-friendly message. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did you are doing the works your father did. Now he's going to talk about my father versus your father. And I want you to understand that he's talking to us too. The only one that can truly say my father is God is Jesus, the son of God. But he has the power to give us sons and daughter's inheritance as well than for us to call upon our father. But before he does that and before we, if we abide in him and seek him, listen, before we do that, we have to understand we have a different father. There's kind of this, there's this concept in our world, we're just all children of God. And Jesus would say, yeah, now. Nah. And this is very offensive, especially to people who grew up their whole life saying, you are the children of Abraham. You serve the only God, and he is going to bless you, and he is creating you a people. You are special. Like, you are this party, and there's that political party. You know, those guys, they're bad, but you're the chosen ones. 
And Jesus comes in and says, yeah, not exactly. This makes me think of, when you think of the term slave, you think of the term son, and a slave versus a son mentality, which we're going to get to, but it makes me think of, um, interesting enough, the illustration of an, of an elephant. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but elephant, the largest elephant that we know of um, to date, besides uh, prehistoric, but current day is 13 feet tall, weighed up to 24,000 pounds, extremely intelligent, could, could with their trunk grab a single blade of grass, but also strong enough to rip the branches off of a tree. The size of an elephant, I mean, it's gargantuan. If you've ever been to the circus, you see, you're like, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to ride one of those, especially on 610 and just surpass most of the time. You probably could, our traffic. But the thing about an elephant is you think of something so grand and so big and with so much uh, purpose and, and, and opportunity, the things that it could do with all of that strength and even its intelligence. They talk about the size of an elephant's brain is so big. That's why we talk about they never forget things. So if you've ever been to a circus and you've ever seen an elephant trained or even chained to something and you see that, you see that elephant chained down and you're going with an elephant that size it could just get out of that easily but the way you chain an elephant is when it's a baby you could even start with just a rope and tie it to something just a little bit heavier than it and it will try to get away it will do everything it can it'll even create like a scar and it'll have these reminders of what this feels like to try to get away and it can't get away here's the problem the older it gets, even if it gets to the size of 24,000 pounds, you could chain it down to just a simple little bush that offers just barely any resistance and it will not go anywhere. Why? Because it thinks I cannot get out. It thinks and it remembers the scar and trying to get out and it thinks this is just where I'm supposed to be. And so it's just being trained, it's being used and it's not truly free. And this is the picture I think of when I think Jesus looking out at the crowd, celebrating their freedom, going, you're not really free. There's an internal slavery and mindset that you carry. And ultimately, he's about to say, there is a father and inheritance that you have that is causing you to be a slave to your desires, to the culture. Even when you think externally, no, I'm not. Because internally you are. You see, our identity should ultimately determine our activity. And yet most of us, our activity is what determines our identity. In other words, what I do, as soon as I do that, well, that's who I am. And Jesus comes in and says, that's true, and it's because you have a different father than I have, and you are enslaved to his way, and he is a master. But I have a father that is not here to beat you up, that is not beating me up, that is, but that is building me up, and you don't even know of this father. You think you know him, but you don't know him. Because you need to be set free. And your freedom comes by listening 
to me by hearing what I'm saying. And he puts himself in this power position of authority, and it offends them. Absolutely. And it should, and I think a lot of times the gospel does start with a level of offense. So I'm not great. I need a savior. So I don't need just another teaching. So I don't need just another training. So I don't need just another book. I need a person. So God's not just telling me what to do. God wants to be my father and in relationship with me. And this is what Jesus is getting to. See, the culture says, accept me as I am. Because see, I can't change who I am. God made me this way. So obviously if I have these desires and I've been created this way and this is what I feel, then obviously if God made me that way and this is how I feel, then God is saying that is good. And Jesus says, actually no, that is not God. God did not necessarily give you those desires, but he wants to give you a new desire. But he wants to give you a new heart, but it has to come through me. He's very explicit and causes some ruckus. Look at this, John 8, verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, if you read that fast, you're going to go fast and not understand what they're saying. Do you, do you understand what they're saying? They're going, okay, wait, wait. You're recognizing we're of Abraham just like you. You're a Jew. We're Jews. And they say, yeah, but we weren't born of sexual immorality. This is a Yamama. This is literally, and, and I'm not throwing this term, I'm not trying to be funny. They're literally saying, we're not bastards like you. This is what they're saying. So now they're starting to bring his family into it, his mama into it, and you don't do that. I mean, you talk about me, you talk about my, you talk about my mama. We about to have problems, right? This is where Jesus is. He's like, excuse me? They're like, hey. Your mama's so fat, Dora can't explore. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? How, why are we doing this right now? He's coming right, they're coming right against his family. Because, oh, we, we know, we've heard your dad's not really that Joseph guy, but we don't know who your dad is because your mom was a virgin. See, we know where we come from. Who are you? You're illegitimate. You understand, they're going straight for the jugular. These are the people that believed, by the way, remember? Verse 42. It's amazing when Jesus starts to draw different lines than we're used to, how offended we can get. Extremely religious people and religion without relationship. Not all religion is bad. Scripture says good religions take care of widows and orphans in their time of need. But extreme hyper-religion apart from relationship always draws this line of good people versus bad people. And the funny thing is when I draw that line, I'm always on the good side. And most people are on the bad side. And you might say, well, I don't like religion and I don't believe in religion. You're still drawing a line. I'm good and those people are bad. See how this works? And Jesus draws a different line. He's like, actually, no, I'm good. Everyone is bad. 
everyone, including you and me, are in that category. And he's saying, I alone am good. And I'm over here, it's, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm kind of bored because I'm by myself, but I've come to include all of you. This is the good news, but it starts very offensive. And it is offensive. If you've never had that stinge of, I'm wrong, something's wrong, I, I would question whether you've understood the gospel ultimately. If it's just, well, yeah, of course God loves me. Look how awesome I am. You've never understood what Jesus is saying. I think about myself when I, I grew up kind of going to church in, in and out, but never fully had a conviction of sin. Like I knew what was wrong, but I understood also I wanted to do what was right because I got good things out of that. And we talk a lot about that. But I, I paid attention real quick because I saw my sister going down a crazy road. She's two years older than me. And I saw her and I was like, man, my parents are having to like give her curfews and put the tight reins on her because she's rebellious. I'm like, well, I'm just going to be a good dude. And I didn't have a curfew, right? Until she whined and said, well, Chris didn't get one. Then I had one. That wasn't fair. But I'm like, I'm going to do really, really good because I understand the way to get good things is to be good. And you're trying to get good things by being bad. And ultimately, that's not going to work out. So my testimony, I'm like, okay, I'm a pretty good guy. And I remember one day I'm driving on my way to youth group. And my mom is in my car with me. I'm in this 1989 red Ford Ranger XLT that is beat up, hand-me-down truck that I got. And I'm a junior in high school, and I'm driving in Apple Valley, California, on my way to youth group. And my mom, my stepdad is my youth pastor. My mom's in the car with me. And we're talking, and she turns to me, and she says, when are you going to ultimately give your life to Jesus? And I was like, excuse me, woman? Uh, and Jesus called his mom woman, so uh, just kidding. But I was like, excuse me? I didn't say woman. I'm not that disrespectful. And I was very offended. I said, you know I'm about to go drum for the youth ministry, and our youth ministry was almost a couple hundred students. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm like, up there. I'm, like, a big deal, right? Like, I, what have I ever done to you? I'm a good kid. See, I, I'm looking at my activity to determine my identity. And she says, yeah, but do you have a relationship with God? Do you really know God? And honestly, I remember that day, I was so mad and so offended and so frustrated. But I went home and I looked internally. Because externally, I looked really free. And I would even tell you eternally, I'm free. But I looked internally and I realized, I don't really know God. I don't really have a relationship with God. And for me, it was hard because I had never understood that I was a slave. I was like that elephant that was just stuck, but I didn't know any better. That's all I knew. And I remember 17-year-old, junior in high school, starting reading my Bible and reading some of the things that Jesus was saying in the book of John and started all of a sudden convicted of sin. So I realized that I am a slave to sin. Yeah, I might not have done drugs and I might not be having sex, but I'm addicted to porn. I'm still a slave to my lusts and what I want. 
I need a savior. And all of a sudden I realized I might look good externally, but internally I still look at God as a master because my real master was the enemy that was keeping me down and that was beating me up. When I gave my life to Christ, I mean, it was like sonship. And ladies, sorry, we're talking about sons, but men have to be brides too of Christ, so we've got to be able to work with this. Sons, daughters, the inheritance of God, the love of God, a father now, not a master. This is what Jesus is trying to get into these people. Jesus said to them, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. He's being very explicit here. And I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is, it, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're so chained and enslaved. That religious, extreme religious mindset can't change their heart and their mind it says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word, verse 44. You are your father, of your father, the devil. Wow. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He's saying, I know my, I'm, I come from the father, like I know the father. That's my dad. You're saying he's your dad, but you act nothing like him or you would love me and listen to me. But you know who you do act like? The other father who's a murderer. And, and he does not stand in truth. There's no truth in him. It says this, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what I mean? This is what he's talking about. The father of lies. He has lies that produce kids, that produce kids, that produce kids, that produce more and more lies. And you've lived and you're believing and you're shackled to this lie. And it shows who your true father is. And he says, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Can anybody stand up here and say that? I've never sinned. That's what Jesus just said. I've never sinned. Can you imagine? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? You said you believed in me. You're following me. You love my works and everything that I've done but you're offended at me. Whoever is of God, verse 47, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. How did they respond to this? The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Like you are demonically possessed, Jesus. Jesus answered them, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. In other words, you want me to lie and say that I'm not who I am. I will not do that. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Verse 51, truly, truly, 
Under my authority, here we go, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, eternal freedom. Not just external, not just internal, but eternal. The true shackle of death, he says, I'm going to set you free from that. And they go nuts. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? What a great question to ask Jesus. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. You think you know him, you don't know him. He says, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus is savage. I don't know. I just love. I think Jesus is amazing. Your father Abraham, you want to claim he's your father? Okay. He rejoiced that he would see my day. Oh my gosh. Like I can't explain how crazy this is. Because they're, they know and they read in the Psalms and they think about Abraham rejoicing one day in the redemption of Israel and all of his children come to know him. And Jesus has the audacity to say, he's thinking about me and my day right now. So the Jew said to him, you're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? You are cray. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, a lot of people say Jesus was never explicitly saying he was God. That's not even like grammatically correct. You'd say before Abraham was, I was. What is he saying here? He's using the word I am referring back to when God was in the burning bush talking to Moses. He said, who do I say you are? I can't just say some burning bush told me to let the people go, told you to Pharaoh to let the people go. He says, say the I am the I am. This is where they get the word Yahweh, which they weren't even allowed to write, much less say. They, they changed it to Adonai, and then we Gentiles changed it to Jehovah, which is not fully accurate. And so Jesus says this before Abraham was Yahweh. I am. He's claiming to be God. And listen, you know they understood that he claimed to be God. Why? So they picked up stones. They didn't grab a sword. They didn't grab a rope to hang him. Stones because of blasphemy to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is in his own house, the temple, as God, representing God for all of mankind. And he's having to hide in his own house because people are ready to kill him. If that doesn't tell you, we've got a juxtaposition between slaves and sons. 
I don't know what does. And how many times has God convicted you or me of something? And I'm like, no, get out of here. And he's having to hide. We're ready to kill him because of that word or because of that thing, because it offended us. And yet Jesus is saying, if I'm God and you abide in me and make your dwelling in me and live in me, wouldn't you do whatever I asked you to do? I want to appeal to you that Jesus isn't just a good teacher or just a good prophet. He claims to be God. And why is that significant? It's significant because of this. Anybody can stand up and say, all of you jokers are slaves and I'm a son. Anybody, and a lot of people have stood before crowds throughout generations and said, my way is right. Join me and my teaching and my way of thinking. Think like me, get my book, come to my seminar, and then you're going to experience freedom. Anybody can say that. But Jesus doesn't just appeal to a good teaching or a new way of thinking or a new governance of people. He appeals to be able to make you sons and set you free as slaves as God. And later shows he is God through his death resurrection not only does he have the audacity to say it he has the power to do it do what set us free from our slavery set us free and I'm not even just talking eternal some of us are eternally free because we've trusted in Jesus but still internally we are slaves because we're trapped in our mindset and our culture, and it is occupying us more than we are occupying it with the kingdom. There's mentalities. There's, we would call it addiction, and the Bible would call it slavery. Well, that's just my vice or my thing, and Jesus comes in and says, I want to set you free. I want to offer you freedom. Let me give you a few opposites here between slaves and sons. Mentality, slave. A slave believes he must perform to gain the father's love. A son believes and experiences the unconditional love of the father. Why? Because of what the son has done. Slaves believes that becoming an heir is tied to performance, not his position as a son. A son experiences sonship as an heir based on his position to the father. Slave, a slave believes provision is only through performance. A son rests in the security of his father's provision. A slave says, when I fail, I believe I deserve judgment. A son says, when I fail, I am still loved because I'm a son. Slave says, I am entitled to a share of anything I do. A son says, I am a steward of what my father entrusts to me. A slave says, I resent my dad's character and wants conditions because he's all about activity, not identity. And a son says, I love my dad's character because I love his unconditional love. A slave value is only based on what I do and how well I do it. A son value is totally based on position as a son. A slave, love is earned. Son's love is experienced. Slave expects an entitlement. A son receives gracefully. Slaves are self-righteous and 
prideful sons recognizes sins and repentance. Slaves believe he or she is defective and it causes shame. Not just this way. Nobody's perfect. That's another way of saying I'm a slave. A son believes he or she is loved. Slaves reject God's authority. Sons lives under God's authority. Slaves is overwhelmed by sin and culture. Sons overcomes sin and changes culture. Why? Because whom the son sets free is truly free. Has Christ set you free internally, eternally? externally? Are there things you're holding on to and mindsets you're just, that's just how it is. When you think about God and you approach God like, I can't worship today because I sinned yesterday and God's going, that is a slave mentality. The reason why you can worship and you have access to me is because of what Jesus has done. Be adopted as sons and daughters. And now your obedience comes from a place of identity, not just activity. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to worship as we close today. We're going to ask the Lord in this place as we sing this song and we say mountains are still being moved. Maybe there's a mountain in your life. There's something going on. There's anxiety in your life that is fueled by your ultimate unbelief in God being sovereign and being the freedom giver. Maybe today... God wants to deliver you. You know, the person of Jesus, his word remains forever. This wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. It's for right now, maybe today with arms lifted high and just speaking out that giants are still being slain. There's things in your life, depression that's gonna leave. There's frustrations and offense that are gonna leave because how can I be offended with my brother when you have forgiven me? Jesus is the chain breaker. But he wants to give you that new mindset so you're not stuck on that chain like that elephant. And he's come to set you free if you trust in him. Will you pray with me as we worship? God, we thank you for your word. Set us free in this place, Lord. Internally, eternally, externally. In Jesus' name, amen.